We are in the book of James. The uh, book of James is, for me, one of my favorite books to read. It's one of my favorite books to discuss. It's one of my favorite books to uh, preach because it is every, every week, regardless of how long you go or how big your passage is or small your passage is, the book of James provides for us <clears throat> opportunities to be challenged in our faith. And even at times, I would say to go, who is Jesus and, and what does Jesus actually want of me as I am following him? So we have broken up uh, James chapter 2 in Faith and Works into two parts. We did part one last week. We're going to do part two this week. And we're going to be in James chapter 2, starting in verse 20. I want to read this. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham, our father, justified by works by offer, or in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's not the language we usually use. Justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Let's pray that the Lord could open our minds and hearts as we go through this passage this morning. Father, we need your wisdom, only your wisdom, as we hear from the Word and ask your Spirit, wherever each man, woman, and child is, would ask for you to meet them where they are and challenge them from this passage to understand the goodness of Jesus, to trust him, and to live for him. And we pray in his name. Amen. All right. I don't know who here is the best at holding their breath, but I want you just to have in your living rooms or in your car or wherever you are, we're going to have a little bit of a test. All I want you to do is take a deep breath in and then hold it as long as you can. We're actually going to do this together. You ready? So deep breath in. Okay, never mind. Never mind. I can't do it. If you can keep going, keep going. See who can hold your breath the longest. I think at one point in time in my life, I got like a minute and 15 seconds. That was it. I'm no David Blaine, that's for sure. Uh, so I cannot hold my breath very long underwater, but some of you are probably still going. Just want to be sure that you take a breath sometime soon. Because of course, of course, you need to breathe. You don't even think about it most of the time, do you? You don't think about in and out. When you're swimming, you know you have to come up for air. But in general, as you live your life and go through your day, you're not thinking about breathing in and breathing out and breathing in and breathing out. And yet so often, when it comes to our walk with Jesus, what we try to do is emphasize one aspect of our Christian walk over another. And so essentially what we try to do is we try to pick, well, I'm just going to breathe in forever, or I'm just going to breathe out forever. And we'll just use the breather inners, you know, in that sense. We'll use that as the, uh, well, only all that matters is what you believe and what you hold on to and what you say you believe. Like, that's really it. So, right, that's like, <gasps> that's just like inhaling forever. And the other ones would go, all, all that matters is what you do. Well, 
uh, it's like exhaling forever. It doesn't really work. Now I have lots of droplets on this mic, so I'll be sure to clean it before uh, the next time we get together. Yeah, with our faith, we go, okay, well, I'm going to believe the right thing. <gasps> then just breathe in forever. Or we go, I'm going to do the right thing, breathe out forever. But we don't try to marry these two together all the time. And yet, what James is going to talk about this morning is just how foolish that perspective is. Last week, we went through the first half of this passage of faith without works and what it meant. We looked at um, this idea of does it, does it, does it make us, uh, do we have the necessary understanding of the gospel? Does our faith work in that? Does the content actually make sense? Information, understanding, and trust. We also asked ourselves the question, does our faith actually work? Does it demonstrate itself in, in obedient acts, which are okay? Well, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to see the link between what God has revealed and how we respond to it. Save the last half of this passage for today, because what is going to happen in this passage is James, and remember, James is a half-brother of Jesus. James is one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. James knew Judaism. He understood work. He understood God. He understood faith. And now he has seen Jesus, his brother, the Messiah, come and has trusted in him and Jesus' work. So God has revealed himself in a certain way, and how we respond to that revelation is important. So we'll see the link between what God has revealed and how we respond. So what's going to be cool this morning as we go through two examples, Abraham and Rahab, is that we're going to see kind of insider, outsider. And actually Abraham was originally a religious outsider as well. So we're going to see Abraham, though, the father of the nations, and Rahab, who was a prostitute in a city that was going to be taken over by Israel. That's just after Abraham's death, long after. So we'll see this example, and we'll get to understand how the Apostle Paul and James talk about these ideas of faith and works, kind of two sides of the same coin. So James chapter 2, starting in verse 20 through verse 26. And the first thing that we're going to see in chapter verse 20 is this statement that James makes. Faith without works is useless. Faith without works is useless. You're just breathing in all the time. You won't live if you just breathe in all the time. You will soon die. James does this time and time again, which is really helpful for preaching, just so you know, where he'll kind of say, say a point, illustrate the point, say the point again. We're going to do the same thing today. He's going to say his point, illustrate it, and then conclude. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? If you read different translations, then you might hear uh, the word senseless. You might hear the word foolish. You might hear the word empty fellow. All of this is to describe a person who thinks that you can have faith without works. Now remember from last week, and if you didn't, if you weren't here last week, here in air quotes, if you weren't with us last week, then what we talked about was that James is not highlighting really faith and works as much as he's highlighting true faith and false faith, or uh, the kind of faith that actually demonstrates itself in work, and the kind of faith that doesn't, and he's hi highlighting people who think you can have one of these. And he's going, no, faith that just is in, you know, faith without works is just words, is what we said. That doesn't work. And so, we're not talking about adding faith to our, or adding works to our faith in order to save. James is talking about saving faith and not saving faith. 
So he begins with this illustration of how God has revealed himself to two specific characters in the Old Testament to show that even they were living by what they had seen of God. So it's going to be really simple. We're going to just look at these two. The first thing we're going to look at is we're going to look at Abraham's faith and works. Now, before we get into the passage, I just want to go, who was Abraham? Right? Father Abraham had many sons. If you don't know the song, you should, right? Let's all praise the Lord. And then we start doing our moves as we understand who Abraham was. If you were with us in Galatians, then you saw that Abraham was the man that God called to be the father of the nation of Israel and the one through whom the Messiah would come. That Messiah is Jesus. In Galatians, this is in the New Testament, long after Abraham, the Apostle Paul talks about how Abraham, and through his faith, the seed of Abraham was Jesus, and through Jesus, all the nations of the world, all the peoples of the world will be blessed. So Abraham is like the dude, okay? Abraham is, right, like we know, I know everybody's watching The Last Dance and talking about Michael Jordan being the goat. Like Abraham is the goat of goats in regards to how faith operates. Everyone who's everyone knows Abraham. There are faiths in this world, uh, not Jewish, not Christian, that will still have some type of connection to Abraham. Like Abraham's an important guy, And so, of course, it makes sense that Abraham would be faithful. So let's go ahead and just look at his example. And this is going to be kind of fun, at least fun for me. If you're a little bit of a chronology nerd, then maybe it'll be fun for you. Um, And if you're not a chronology nerd, we won't be here long. But what we are going to see is that God had found and called Abraham into a relationship. And this happens in Genesis chapter 12, right? And so in Genesis chapter 12, God calls him in Genesis chapter 15, God reconciles them, and then we have what Paul says, or James says here in 21. Wasn't Abraham our father? Everyone knows who Abraham's like, yeah, Abraham our father. Justified by works in offering his son Isaac on the altar. You see, his faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete, and the scripture was fulfilled that said Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So, 2 James 2.21, let's look at James 2.21. James 2.21 refers to an event that happened in Genesis chapter 22. I'm just going to put that in your head. We'll see it in a second, but put that in your head. Genesis chapter 22. So Abraham was promised, remember Abraham, he was promised a family, essentially. God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to have a great family. Through all the nations of the world will be blessed. And Abraham went for some time without any family, any family. He had his wife, Sarah, but no children. And he was almost to the point where he's like, I don't think this is going to happen. Then he had a son. That son's name? Uh Uh-huh. Isaac. He had a son from promise. He had another son that was not from promise, which we spent a good, uh, good time in Galatians discussing. So he had Isaac, who was a son of the promise. And then in Genesis chapter 22, God asked and tests Abraham in regard to how his faith will work. But interesting is that before that, 
Because you have James saying, well, he did this work and it was credited to him as righteousness. But Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 is going to be important. Because when Abraham is out and he is wondering if God is going to fulfill the promise, God says, look out and look at the stars. If you look at the stars, your heir, your seed will be as numerous as these stars. And then we have this verse. He believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, this is important, so I want us to stay here for a second, because also in Galatians 3.6 or in Romans 4.3, this happens. So, God, uh, so Abraham was called in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham was justified, or God saw his belief and declared him righteous in Genesis chapter 15, and then in Genesis chapter 22, he was tested with his son Isaac. Isaac had not come in Genesis chapter 15. There was a promise. So he believed the promise, believed what God had revealed, and he was credited to him as righteousness. And then in Genesis chapter 22, all that happens. And James, interesting, James is spending his time trying to focus in on the specific work. Wasn't Abraham justified in offering his son Isaac? Now, I want us to talk for a second about what Paul emphasized and what James emphasized, because this is really important. In, Genesis, in James uh Two, he's going to say, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, if you look at what Paul does, Paul's going to look at Genesis chapter 15. That's going to be important for Paul. And James is going to look at Genesis chapter 22. You can go back to that list. Yeah. So Paul is emphasizing the righteousness of Abraham, that he was made right in Genesis 15. Chronologically, we go further in time. And James is focusing on the test. That's going to be important for us to see. And then James uses this line. Stay right here. James uses this line where he says, You see that his faith up here was active together with his work down here. And by work, faith was made complete. Paul focuses on the declaration of righteousness that you are made right by God through faith. James does too. But what James is doing is James is saying, this right here showed that this was real. This here showed that this was real. That when he believed God in Genesis 15, he knows that. So when God tests him in Genesis chapter 22, he's seen God as faithful. God has revealed himself. And so he knows. These things aren't really different. What we really have are Paul in Romans and in Galatians and James in James talking about the same person but focusing in on an aspect of their life, his life, Abraham's life, and how it worked itself out. We can, to use our breathing example, Paul is focusing on the breathing in aspect and James is focusing on the breathing out aspect of how this works, but they come together. So this was true, and it was true. This didn't make that moment true, right? We don't, we don't go into the future and then somehow go backwards and make that true. We just see it as true. So this is going to be important for us because there's actually a New Testament professor, Robert Plummer, and the reason I know Dr. Plummer or I used him is because he had a really succinct article on Crossway about it. Um, and he's an elder at a church I really like up in Kentucky. Um, and he says it like this. As such, 
He was justified, which is shown to be righteous, shown to be right, shown to be righteous by a living faith that led inexorably, which is a cool word, you can just say it right there in the room, inexorably to obedience. So through what he did, he was justified in such a way because he had a faith that led to work, faith that led to living out what was revealed. So he says, James goes, look at Abraham and see what happened. He spends a good amount of time talking about Abraham. Then he goes, look at Rahab. Now, Rahab doesn't get as long of a verse, right? Or doesn't give as much of a passage, but the same thing in just verse 25. Look at Rahab. Now, who is Rahab? Let's stay right here, and we'll go into just kind of our Bible brains and figure out who Rahab is. Because Rahab was someone who lived in a city of Jericho, and she was not a follower of God. Okay, this is after Abraham. This is now after Moses. We're in the book of Joshua, right? Abraham's Genesis, Moses, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Moses is hanging out in there. Moses doesn't go into the land because of his disobedience. Joshua is his apprentice, and Joshua is going to lead the people into the land. Well, in Joshua chapter 2, we're introduced to this character Rahab. So let me just read to you from Joshua chapter 2, and we can then see some of what James is talking about. Joshua sends men into the land to spy it out because God is giving it to them. In Joshua 2 verse 8, it says, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof. And she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard, her people have heard, how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So everyone had heard. Now remember, information understanding, trust. We talked about these three elements. Everyone had heard what had gone on, how Israel was going to come into the land and what God had done. Everyone had heard it, but not everyone had moved to a point where they were actually going to live in light of that being true. So what Rahab does, which is so important, is that she actually hides the spies, explains why she hides them, then she goes, oh, they went that way, sends her people out to go find them where they aren't, and then sends the spies out a different way. And this is what we have James highlighting in verse 25. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? And receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route. Now, what was she doing? She was responding to what had been revealed. She'd already seen it. Now, she's just acting in accordance with what she has seen to be true. Breathe in, breathe out. And this is great because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter who. Right? You have Abraham, the one that God has called. You have Rahab, who has just seen God work. 
And Rahab still gets played. And actually, in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This is no small thing to recognize what James is doing here. Anyone. Anyone who responds to God by faith has some type of work, some type of breathing out that comes after it. Now, we saw last week that it doesn't, we said, I think, works small but mighty, is that, is that it doesn't always have to be some kind of gigantic thing. It could be clothing a brother or sister. It could be providing for someone in need. It could be giving them money for lunch. It could be being sure that they have a place to stay. It could be whatever as long as it's rooted in what we see to have been revealed by the Lord. So this is good news for us, the example of Abraham, the example of Rahab, because it shows us this, that God's reach goes to anyone, anywhere, at any time, and that a true response to God by faith and how he has revealed himself and who he is results in us living in light of that. So we have the statement of senseless person. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? We have the illustration of Abraham. We have the illustration of Rahab. And then in James' fashion, he's going to summarize it again in verse 26. Faith without works is dead. It's dead. Because if you just try to breathe in or you just try to breathe out, you will die. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. eventually you have to breathe, don't you? You can't just hold in your breath forever. Faith and works are the same. If all you do is inhale, you miss out. If all you do is exhale, you miss out. You must do both. Why? Why? And this is so important. Because faith responds to what God has revealed and acts upon it. In a sense, you live what you believe, and you believe what's been revealed. And so it's not as if, and this is important because sometimes we'll use lines like, oh, I just have faith, or I just believe, or I have blind faith. There's no blind faith going on here. Think about Abraham. Abraham had God speak to him, speak to him, and he was called God's friend. So Abraham had God call him out, give him a promise, tell him, no, that heir is coming. And then in Genesis chapter 22 said, now I want you to give me that son. So Abraham had a relationship with God that maybe we go, eh, that's kind of crazy. And so then James turns the tables and goes, well, how about Rahab? All Rahab saw was what God did to other nations. She was not a part of the nation at this time, was she? And so we see then through that, that she has seen God reveal himself. Specifically, she has seen God reveal his power. And she said, I know your God is God. And she responded. You live what you believe. You believe what's been revealed. There's no room for just kind of going, oh, I just trust, it's no big deal. 
Trust in what? Trust in whom? God has been abundantly clear for us. Are there passages in the Scripture that can be confusing? Yes. Are there passages in the Scripture that when you read them, you go, well, I wish that weren't there. Maybe so. If we have one kind of attitude, we go, ah, I, you know, I, wish that, I wish that weren't there. Love to be able just to kind of do whatever I want when the flesh is kind of it, has, its, has its way. But faith responds to what's been revealed by God. Abraham was doing it. Rahab was doing it. And they saw God's clear communication. They saw God's clear power. They saw God's clear authority. They saw his reputation. And they said, we're going to just do something about that. It wasn't at the moment that they did the work that God goes, okay, I know you're for real now. But the work came because they recognized by faith who God was. So just a couple of questions as we think about you live what you believe. Here's question number one. Who is God? Who is God? What do I do about this? Who is Jesus? What did Jesus do? What what do I do about this? How am I saved? By grace through faith. I'm not saved by grace through faith with works. Works don't save. Works are the evidence of faith. But they aren't faith. They don't make faith real. They show it to be true. I see a brother or sister in need. What has God revealed? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? God has revealed. My marriage has revealed my selfishness in a new way. This stay-at-home order has revealed my selfishness in a new way, or my laziness in a new way. Well, now, what has God revealed? This is why, for example, if you're in one of our D groups, I, just, I love to talk about D groups because it gives you a context to work out what has God revealed and how does that change me moment by moment? How should I interact with that? How should that change how I pray? How should that change how I speak? How should that change how I live? How should that change how I serve? Because I've seen what God has revealed. And while it is certainly true that Abraham likely had a fuller picture of God's character and nature because of the unique way God related to Abraham. It doesn't mean that Rahab over there with all she was doing was observing what God had done, but she was not in the nation. She was not uh, there with the Lord speaking to her all the time going, and Rahab, I'm going to do this for you and this for you and this for you. It wasn't the same type of relationship. She's still responding, isn't she? So sometimes we go, ah, I just don't know enough Bible to be able to respond in faith. You respond to what you know. You respond to what has been revealed. You don't, you don't kind of hit some kind of level and you go, okay, now I can operate faithfully. For example, I know that my spending might reflect greed. Well, what does the scripture teach us about greed? Clearly we go, oh, it's not good. I mean, anybody would tell you greed's not good unless you're, you know, uh, Gordon Gecko, Then you say greed is good. But in all of these ways that we live, in all these things that go on internally with us, 
the scriptures are there as our encouragement and as our foil. And you can go, God, what have you revealed? And what is true? And how does that change me? Now, friends, this is your whole life, your whole entire life. I remember uh, Mother's Day, I don't know, I'm going a week removed, day earlier, a day late and a dollar short or whatever, but Mother's Day last year, we went through some of Proverbs 31. And you can get really overwhelmed when you read Proverbs 31 and you hear about the Proverbs 31 woman and it's like she had like baller Instagram feed. She had, was making money. She was going ahead and feeding everybody everything. She was doing renovations on the house and you read all this stuff that you see that she was doing and you just go, that ain't no chance. I'm not going to do that. And so you just kind of go, I'm over it. But I want to encourage you today to consider, just today to consider is what do you know as true because God has revealed it in his scriptures? What can you do about it? You don't have to go get overwhelmed. But there's just so much there. There is so much there. But this is our sanctification. This is our walk. This is our life. And so we're always, right? Sometimes it's one step forward, two steps back, three steps forward, ten steps back, five steps forward, one step back, ten steps back. It's always like that. But what has God revealed and how can you live it out? by faith, and for his glory. Our community groups, almost all of them, if not all of them, are still having Zoom conversations right now. Many of them discuss even the passage that we are preaching. You can go to our website and go to our community groups page and email a leader and try to get in touch and just try to join one of those chats. If you go to our Sunday resources page, then we actually design questions for you to discuss with your children and with your youth and with your group that are geared towards how does this actually work? How does this work itself out? So those are there for you. And what's awesome, and I was actually talking about uh, with my D group about this last week or the week before, is that as you just kind of keep after it, little by little, the compounding effect gets rather significant because you've built in now all these shared conversations, all of this reading. Did you know that if you're in a D group and you are doing our here journaling, that by the end of this year, if you stay with it, which is not always easy, thanks COVID, um, if you stay with it, you will have journaled about something in the scriptures from every chapter of the New Testament. And it takes 10 to 20 minutes a day. You, you will start seeing over time themes and what God is stirring in you and what he's developing with you and what he's asking of you and what he's challenging you with. If you just continue little by little to chip away, what has he revealed and what is he asking? And God, what do you, what do you want from me? And how can I be uh, a demonstrator, show my faith in how I live? Because obedience is a significant part of the Christian life. You live what you believe. Our focus as Christians is to look at what is true, what has been revealed, and live like that. Otherwise, otherwise we live a type of faith that isn't real. Because you're just trying to live with your breath held. And it won't work. Because it wasn't designed to. Trust God, the designer of our faith, to know how it's supposed to work. He knows best.